This is The UU Perspective with your host, Sharon Merrill. This is episode number 13 of the UU Perspective podcast, where you can hear weekly interviews from Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists that are changing the world through the stand they take on issues facing our world today and who facilitate making a difference in the communities around them. Whether you're already a member or a seeker exploring the faith, there is something here for everyone. From personal spiritual growth to inspiration that impacts the community, you'll be opened up to awesome possibilities. So sit back and relax and enjoy the conversations you're about to hear. So my guest today is Scott Taylor, and he's the director of Congregational Life of the Ohio Meadville District and the Surge, which is the Central Eastern region. So he is on a mission to cultivate connections between congregations, and he inspires and coaches new and innovative models of, quote, doing church. So he's empowering existing congregations and their leaders to step up to the next level of impact. So basically it's about the interconnection, innovation, and impact that can be made. And previously Scott has served as co-senior minister of the First Unitarian Church of Rochester, New York, where he and his team had developed a small group system that engaged over half of their 1,000 members. And during this time, he supported the Rochester congregation by entering into a yoke multi-site partnership with a nearby church, the UU Church of Canandaigua, New York. And so these churches are now sharing programming and staff. So he's going to talk about this multi-sites and networking and how in this day and age, you know, many of the congregations he mentioned, two-thirds, have 160 members or less. So how do we combine with other churches to share our staff, our resources, uh, and to create a more impactful and spiritual presence for congregation members and, you know, for ourselves, for the minister. So this will be a conversation where you'll learn more about what multi-sites are, how you can get involved, and we'll have some good references and resources in the show notes that uh, you can go to to find out more and uh, hopefully maybe implement some of this into your congregation if it's something that fits for you. So here we go. Here is Scott. All right, so my guest is Scott Taylor today, and I'm excited to have him here with us talking about multi-sites today. And I've given you an overview of uh, Scott, and so, but right now I'd like uh, you, Scott, to tell us a little bit more about you and what your role is uh, in the Unitarian Universalist community. Well, thanks, Sharon. So good to it's so good to be chatting with you this morning. Um, I am. Uh, our director of congregational life at our UUA. Um, I've had that position for about a year and a half now, almost going on two years. In that role, there are many things that I do. Primarily, I am uh, in charge of and oversee all the field staff uh, around the country, all of the the regional team staff members that serve our, our five regions um, and work alongside those teams to support all the work they do to enhance the capacity of our congregations. Uh, I also work with uh, department heads 
in Boston to coordinate uh, the work of field staff with the other offices at headquarters. Yeah, for the multi-site piece, um, in my previous life, I served at the First Unitarian of Rochester, New York, as co-senior minister with my wife. But uh, it's important for me to always say that for the last five years of that nine-year ministry, I served also the Unitarian Universalist Church of Canandaigua, New York, in a yoked relationship, basically a multi-site networked congregational uh, system. So that's where I learned sort of the gifts of of multi-site. And part of my passion for that is not just what I learned, but out of gratitude for everything that they gave my ministry. Um, It just is a privilege to kind of share that and give back a little bit. Can you give us a definition of what we're talking about when we say multi-sites? Yeah, and sometimes I like to use the word congregational networks rather than multi-site. Multi-site is the word that I think is used most pervasively, you know, across the board uh, with other uh, denominations. Um, but basically they are, you know, two, two or more congregations And it's important, I guess, in our setting to say congregations or covenanted communities uh, that are networking in permanent ways to share resources, staff, programming, and mission. And the reason I like to name like sort of all four of those is that there are many different ways, I think, as folks know, to be able to be in deeper relate for congregations and covenant communities to, to be in deeper relations. So it's basically numerous congregations and communities coming together to share resources to be more than any of them could be alone. And that's kind of a segue into what is the purpose of creating them? Oh, so that's a that's a big <laughs> that's a, a big question. Um, and it differs, you know, um, the purpose really does, does differ. You know, the motivation I think is, is always complex. Most of the time, I think it does have to do with a hunger to make a greater impact. So many congregations, I think now are, are struggling as we all know with an environment, both that's driven by economics, that's driven by different generational patterns, uh, different patterns of joining its religious institutions. Many folks are talking about the the nuns, not the Catholic nuns, but the folks who check none on the box when they're surveyed about what religion they're a part of. The other way to think about the nuns are the spiritual but not religious. But for all of these reasons, changing attendance patterns at our institutions, economics, and also changing generational patterns, many congregations, you know, struggle with resources. And it's harder for them to make the impact and reach, reach folks with our message and our faith and our offering by themselves. So coming together to share resources and find economies of scale enables them to increase that that impact. When did this kind of begin kind of emphasizing multi-sites? Outside of our movement, it's been something that's been happening, you know, for for a long time. Uh, you could go back, gosh, maybe even 15, 20 years and look at the evangelicals and it's sort of from from the evangelical point of view emerged out of the megachurch movement when 
many of these mega churches were finding that they to increase their impact they didn't just want to get bigger but they wanted to kind of go wider so to speak and reach different geographical uh areas it also you could see it is located in the catholic tradition many of us who were catholic or who have friends who are catholic know that catholic churches have been not sometimes shutting down parishes but also more importantly having priests serve more than one parish so in a way that is a different kind of multi-site than the evangelical because it's having sort of one staff team or one staff group serve multiple uh, the same thing now is happening in many protestant uh, groups as well and again it's some of it is arising out of the struggle, economic struggle, and 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 just congregations struggling where to find impact. But at least the past 15 years, what's exciting for UUs is that in the past five years, we've seen a growth from maybe just a you know under a handful of congregational networks to now close to 20 existing or emerging congregational networks. So it's now really in the past five years just popping up within our tradition. We can talk about multi-sites in ways where congregations are going out and uh, kind of networking and creating, expanding their congregations into, say, rural areas and that type of thing. And there's also, isn't there the other side of it, too, where sharing resources is part of it? Or are they one and the same? Yeah, this is where it might be helpful to name a couple of the different models um, of multi-sites. So, you know, one model sometimes is called merger. That is not necessarily the best word, I think, because it's a li- it's just a little misleading because it sounds like two congregations kind of merging to become one. What the merger model really means is two or more continuing congregations, but merging in the sense of having a singular mission. So again, that's just a congregational system where they are just increasing their, their, their impact in some ways to even continue to survive um, as well. Then you also have what might be called the, the satellite model. Uh, And I love that metaphor because just like we send satellites out to space to reach uh, places that we can't reach on our own, the satellite model takes two different forms. Sometimes it is a congregation creating another site a little further away to, to just reach people. You know, we all have situations where folks might drive 45 minutes or an hour to our congregations. And so this is one mechanism to reach them. And then the other version of satellite would be like is happening in San Diego, California, they created a satellite, but that wasn't necessarily to reach a different geographical area, but was to reach a different population. That multi-site was a Hispanic, is a Hispanic community, a Hispanic congregation. So they're expanding, not just reaching a, a, a different geography, but trying to expand who they are in terms of their diversity. And then you have some models like Albuquerque, where what bound those congregations was more sharing resources, not sharing staff or sharing mission. But that's where you had these tiny congregations, sometimes made up of, you know, just 10 to 20 people 
but having an, an anchor church that was a little bit larger was able to share those resources, you know, video sermons, uh, adult ed material, religious education material. So you can see how there's many different motivations and many different forms th- that these multi-site or networked relationships are taking. And why do you think that this is such an important aspect now in, in our in Unitarian Universalism around the nation? Well, there's both, you know, there's a practical issue. I also would say, but I want to start with sort of the, the theological. I do think, again, there are many practical challenges that churches are facing, which I can go into in a second. But even if it's starting out of this practical need of realizing we're all we're all struggling a little bit with capacity. After that motivation comes in, I think we're there's a spiritual hunger for realizing that our institutions, our organizations have not really caught up with our theology. You know, we have a proud history and theology of interdependence, where we know as a as religious people, you use really believe that that the holy that power, that intelligence, and creativity comes from healing separation. So by, I mean, we call it the interdependent web, um, but it's not just believing in the interdependent web is not just believing that we're all connected. It also, as you know, as we all know, as you use, it's about when the web comes together and heals, divides, that creativity and power rises out of it. And we've applied that to personal spirituality in our justice work, we try to apply that to cultural healing, but we've not done a good job of applying our theology of interdependence to our actual UU organizations, to our congregations. I joke sometimes and say that from a certain perspective, we are the Unitarian Universalist Association of siloed congregations. And I think, you know, there's a little bit of brokenheartedness in that, and we want to move from being the Unitarian Universalist Association of siloed congregations to the Unitarian Universalist Association of being networked and truly interdependent. So there's just excitement and power in having our organizations catch up with our our theology. Yeah, and it almost sounds like, too, like we can bring more diverse groups together as becoming Unitarian Universalists and to fill in all that separateness and and bring it together to make us really interdependent upon each other. Right. And again, it's it's that recognition, not just that we are interdependent, but that by healing separation and by being more closely webbed together, there is this, you know, this is our theology, whether you're an atheist or a theist, we all believe when separation is healed, when connection is made, the holy, uh, the sacred power, creativity arises out of that. And so in a sense, if congregations want to be powerful and creative and have the most impact on people's spiritual lives, that will not happen outside of what we call holy webbings. At least I like to say, I, you know, we believe that, right? <laughs> That's our belief. We just haven't applied it to our organizational systems yet. In a way, sometimes... It- it makes you wonder, did we get 
too democratic in our ideas, you know, emphasizing that idea that, oh, we're all, this is a democratic way of being and and we took it too far, maybe. (laughs) Well, and that autonomy, that independence is certainly also an important uh, piece of our tradition. But we've always been a tradition that balances, you know, autonomy and individual worth with interdependence. And I would say, I think this is a time in our history where we realize that's become a little bit out of balance. What do you think's been the biggest challenge you faced when you have been talking about the multi-sites and getting it out there? Well, what's interesting is uh, it's a hard question to answer because I haven't really faced a lot of challenges. I mean, I could talk a lot about the, the politics and, you know, I don't want to minimize how hard it is for our independent congregations to talk about sharing staff, sharing mission, sharing money. You know, there's a lot of there 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 are a lot of complexities and politics to that. But what I find when I share is mostly an openness, um, almost a, a, a feeling of, oh, my God, I just haven't even imagined this way of being. And so once the vision is cast about imagine what we could be together. Um, it hasn't really, I haven't really faced a lot of challenge or critique, but more of a, a hunger to help us figure out and navigate a path to, to how we do do it. So the challenges are more, folks can't quite see the path through the woods, but all of a sudden the promise of this vision, this promise of, of being able to uh, have a greater impact, but also not do this work alone, it resonates with people so much. They're immediately hungered. Okay, let's, let's get going. Um, and I also shouldn't just, I would say on that note, I think it's also because people, there's a pastoral side to this. You know, I could come at it from a couple of different views. Um, we are a movement of two thirds of our congregations are 160 members and below. So I think sometimes we don't always lift that up. So we are a movement of small congregations, and those small congregations often uh, can only afford part-time ministry. And the situation of part-time ministry, um, I often say, you know, doesn't just make us less impactful. There is an unkindness and even a brutality to that system that we're noticing. And, And I don't mean to you know, overstate it, but let me give you an example. So, you know, with ministers coming out with huge debts from seminary, with our system offering them part-time positions, that creates a huge burden on ministers. And so there's sort of a a pastoral piece there. Besides economic, um, you know, many of us like to work for ourselves, so to speak, but in our churches, you know, staff, ministers, RE, working by themselves, even part-time, is also very isolating. So there's a spiritual burden there. And then when you come at it from a pastoral point of view, our organizational system also is kind of unkind and even brutal to our congregations. Because when you have a part-time minister or or part-time RE professionals, when they are offered a full-time job, they, of course, will move on to take that. And so there's this high turnover in our tiny congregations, which doesn't just stop, you know, momentum, but spiritually, I mean, you say goodbye to people so often. Um, and that, 
that that those goodbyes, that inability to have consistency over time is really dampening on on congregational spirits. And so when congreg two or three congregations can get together and you know not not even share staff, but just create a full-time staff position, that increases, you know, that helps ministers, that helps congregations. Um, so again, it's not just about pure impact. There's a spiritual component here. So people are hungry to heal that, you know, that unkindness, so to speak. The congregations that are involved in this, how has the process been to decide when you're combining two or three congregations and sharing a minister? How does that work? So let me actually answer that by going back a step, because what what happens in in real life and what congregational life staff have been encouraging is you don't have to jump right to multi-site. You don't have to jump right away to merging your mission, your boards, your bylaws, your staff. You know, you can also start smaller. There's ways in which you can share not all your staff, but maybe experiment with sharing some of your staff. We joke a little bit and say, you know, you don't have to rush to marriage. You're, you're allowed to date, right? And sometimes dating is a better path. Uh, to marriage. So, you know, you can share your youth staff, you can share your social justice staff, you can start to share administrative staff and services. Programmatically, maybe the best place for you to start is just sharing um, worship themes. I don't know how many people are familiar with worship themes, but that's another emerging trend in our movement. But worship themes are just having a similar spiritual theme that guides all your Sunday morning programming, and even can guide all the programming in your church each month. Well, you know, many churches are now getting on the same monthly themes, and that allows, you know, more sharing between churches, different kind of guest pulpits. Um, They're allowed, they start to be able to share their small group programs. So I would start there by saying there's many, there's many ways to begin to be more interdependent than just jumping in and, and becoming, you know, one church in multiple locations. That's what I was going to say. How do people question and explore this? Like, do they use you as the resource, the UUA, if they start thinking, we want to explore this, well, what do we do? Yeah, so I'm hoping that at the end of it, we can lift up the, lift up the website again. Uh, but one of the easiest places to find out where you can get uh, support is through the the multi-site web page, which is at uumultisite.weebly.com. We will be merging that with our uua.org very soon as well. But one place that has all this information about where you can get more support, um, more resources, is at uumultisite.weebly.com. The other piece is, you know, working with your field staff. In every region, we now have uh, one to two field staff on each of the regional teams that are developing a specialty in multi-site. So they can be your coaches, your partners uh, to kind of walk along with you and help you discern, you know, if multi-site is right for you. Um, Again, let's stop. We don't even have to use the word multi-site, but just think about deeper networking between congregations. So they can also coach on, you know, helping you discern where do we start with moving towards more permanent webbing between us. Are a lot of uh, congregations 
requesting this or do the leaders go out and talk to congregations? How's that working? Well, it's coming from two. I mean, I would say it's sort of a both and, um, you know, you and I met when I was preaching at the Ohio Mead Bill and St. Lawrence Assembly. So myself and many of our staff are doing workshops and talks on this. So it's it's getting out that way. But, you know, many congregations are getting together in, in cluster groups. So e- even if they haven't decided how they want to work together, you'll have anywhere from five to eight congregations in a, in a geographic area, area getting together just to start to talk about how we can um, be more connected. Now, most of, I would say in the past, you know, 10 years, the kind of work clusters have done when they've gotten together is to maybe, uh, organize to do social justice efforts. The most common has been, you know, organizing to all go to the, uh, the gay pride parade in our area. Now, these are wonderful collaborations, but in many ways they're temporary, uh, forms of interconnection, right? Coming together for just a, a little bit and, and then separating. And these clusters now are starting to say, you know, the impact we see by coming together for temporary work is leading us to a hunger for more permanent kind of webbing. So it's also coming from the bottom up, I would say as well. I certainly don't want to present this as a top-down thing. This is not something that the UUA is kind of forcing on folks. It's not even, you know, multi-size is not right for everyone. But this idea or this question of how can we find all sorts of ways to share resources, staff and programming to be more than we could be alone. You know, that is something we're certainly, you know, encouraging. So if people are more interested in exploring that with their congregations or have more questions, can they just go to that website or is there uh, a list of people there, the leaders that you mentioned each, each of the regions that they could contact? Yeah. All of that is all of that is there. So again, that at that website there are resources, there are stories and videos and testimonials from uh, multi-site and networked uh, congregational systems that you know those leaders have are lift up the, you know the, how they did it, you know what the challenges were, what the benefits were. They speak theologically as well. The all that website also has uh, more detailed information on all the the models that we're seeing in of multi-site with the, across our movement. Um, and also as a list of all the staff that you can reach out that are near you to help. Okay. And we'll, we'll put those in the show notes to how, how people can get more information on that. So give us a favorite quote of yours that inspires you. One of the quotes that I actually keep on my bulletin board um, that relates to this is by the Reverend Mark Morrison Reed. Um, and this is in our hymnal, and many of us uh, know this. It's read in our congregations. But that quote is, Alone our vision is too narrow to see all that must be seen, and our strength too limited to do all that must be done. Together our vision widens and our strength is renewed. And what I, I love about that quote is, again, it gets at this piece of, you know, there isn't just a practical benefit from this. There's something about, uh, when congregations come together, their vision is wind, you know, widened, um, and they start to think differently, not just about how we can be together, but my best story was with two congregations saying, is when we started to work together, we were just trying to find economies of scale. But then what we realized as our relationship became closer, the definition of 
who we served changed. And it changed from us seeing ourselves as serving just those folks inside our walls to together as two congregations serving people throughout our entire region. And there's just something powerful in that about thinking about who are our people and who are we connected to and how multi-site can expand that. Yeah, that quote definitely fits inside of all of that. So it's perfect. And then the last question I have that I ask everyone is, how is Unitarian Universalism as a religious denomination uniquely positioned to serve and impact society? Oh, you know, especially right now, you know, as I think, as you know, I think about just recently the the events in Baltimore or with Ferguson on all of our hearts and, and minds, um, and you could list so many things. I think we're all very aware from the, the racial justice challenges to environmental challenges to just daily living ch- challenges. Our culture is one that is very hard on our spirits. And I think we live in a time where it's clear that folks live in a culture that really does separate them that separates them from their deepest selves, from life's gifts, from needs greater than their own, and that we as a tradition have always seen our gift to the world not so much being the forgiveness of sins. And again, I don't mean to be negative on that. There's the Christian tradition that has that focus is offers powerful gifts. But for us, our gift has always been instead of offering healing or forgiveness from sin, we've always wanted to offer the gift of healing spiritual disconnection and in a culture that is leaving people very disconnected from their deepest selves, life's gifts and needs greater than their own. um, Our movement uh, is especially called, I think right now to offer a healing that's deeply needed. And that would be just the healing of spiritual disconnection. All right. Thank you. Great. Well, I appreciate, Scott, taking having you take the time out to be with us and share your knowledge on the multi-sites and networking. And uh, good luck as you speak that across the nation and share that with everyone. And I thanks for being with us. Thank you, Sharon, for all you do. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the UU Perspective podcast. It's been great to have Scott on. And again, you can check out the show notes and any of the resources that he mentioned. So you can find out more about multi-sites and what you can do to get your congregation involved in sharing resources. Thanks again for listening. I appreciate the many, many people across 12 continents now and uh, four countries. And Please download, subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast player. Uh, I'd appreciate if you guys could actually give a review. That helps uh, our rankings as far as getting up there in the categories that we're in. So please do that if you would just take a moment. And again, we will see you next time on the UU Perspective Podcast. (music) 